Hello and welcome to the excessively shut up and sit down podcast. I'm joined today by Quinton Smith. Hello, Ava Foxfoot. And I'm joined here today by Tom Brewster. Hello, Tom Brewster. And we're here to talk about board games, board games and board games. We have got a few lovely little treats for you coming up. We've got a game about monks, as I understand it. We've got a game about dogs. I believe, and we've got a game about war. I mean, it says it says memories, but it is war, isn't it? It's just, it's just war fighting. And then we've got something that Quinn's is keeping secret from me, which is titled Quentin's Special Debate, um, <laughs> which which could mean anything, and that should be exciting. I think it's going to be a debate, and it's going to be quite something. Stop. Do you think it to... is going to be special? Is it going to be special? Is it going to be special, Quinn's? I well, I don't know. It depends whether you two continue to be antagonistic and difficult. It depends um, if we're I, up to the task, I suppose. I think you're both up to the task if you try hard. My special debate is, I think, of going to be a value to the audience, going to be a value to anybody who likes buying board games, uh, or anyone who's interested in uh, in comparing one thing against another thing. Ah, I mean, that should be a good target audience for us right because i think that we 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 try and do all of those things yeah well sometimes yeah. maybe sometimes we do and but maybe also sometimes we don't oh i'm comparing You're... and contrasting <laughs> oh dear i already hate this segment and i hate that i wrote it in the document uh is that um, just... tom <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry i was just i was gonna say is that a sting but uh, i talked yeah, no, over you just, no that can be a sting no. that can be a perfect that's <laughs> yeah just, you just just scream the word sting and 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 i will know where to put one in peek out the mic and i'll be i'll be able to identify exactly when we need one but you want us to peek the mic yeah as hard as possible please <clears throat> ah! Does, shall I just talk about illumination, or does someone want to ask me about illumination? I'll go. Uh, Tom, <laughs> why don't you tell us about illumination? Ava, I, I think <clears throat> I think Quinn's was gonna Quinn's was gonna ask me about illumination. Actually, doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I was trying to do a goof. I know, but I, it doesn't matter. I, You're I, so I bad at podcasts. I won't shut. Up. I thought it was going to be. It doesn't matter, and then you two could be like, "Ah, oh, see, now even Nomad Kins. Ah, uh-huh, that's good." Comedy, hey. Anyway, illumination. <laughs> I was putting something down that you two failed to pick up. Don't be blaming me. I picked it up. I thought I picked it up by saying awkward, really yeah, quietly. No, I think if one of us f***ed <laughs> it there, it was Tom. But ah. please, Tom, why don't you talk about illumination and rescue us from this self-referential <laughs> yeah, stink Tom, pit? Could you un it for us, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, let's climb out of the swamp. Let's climb out of the swamp, talk about illumination. Let's get this podcast Back on the road. Uh, so in Illumination, both players are going to be filling the boots of some medieval monks who are adding illuminations to a big old book. If you're not familiar with the process of illumination, it's basically doodling, just fancier. Um, in front of you in this game, you've got these three pages. And most of the game involves lifting a set of drawings from your own personal player board in the form of these little square tiles and slapping them onto this main board to collect resources, which you can turn in for points. If you put a drawing tile on its matching little quill, you're going to get some money, a money resource, which you can spend on cards that might let you take bonus actions and other little bits and bobs. But if you put a drawing next to a drawing of the same color, which are red, white, gray, and gold, you'll get resources of that color, which you can turn in for some points. Now that's the core of the game, and it sounds fine. But 
laid on top of it, you've got all these other little systems. So those cards will let you take actions that you wouldn't normally be able to do, or there's a monastery board at the top where you can cash in those ritual goods for some points if the abbot is visiting the right space at the moment. But I'm not going to go into detail of any of that. Instead, I'm going to talk about the game's most surprising system, which is the fact that one of you is going to be a good honest, reverent monk who wants to fill their pages <laughs> with knights, angels, and trusty dogs, whereas the other player is irreverent and wants to fill the book <laughs> with dragons breathing fire, squirrels that are aiming crossbows, and knights wielding swords. Actually, no, it's bunny, excuse me, bunnies wielding swords were what I was trying to doodle in our game. Yes, excuse me, they are indeed rabbits wielding swords. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing is, though, this change isn't just aesthetic, right? I mean, it mostly is. But the, within the fiction of the game, your drawings are having tiny little battles against one another. So if you create a group of tiles that are two mortal enemies, say, for example, you create a group of knights and dragons, or you create a big group of squirrels and dogs, or regular dudes and big murder rabbits... Uh, they're going to have a little fight where whoever has the biggest contiguous group taking the win and they'll flip their opponent's tiles face down. But the benefit of this, right, is twofold because whoever wins more conflict each time is going to end up with like some endgame points. But also every single face up tile in the book will get you a point at the end of the game as well. And that's basically all of Illumination. And I thought it was pretty delightful. Quince, what did you think of Illumination? I thought this was pretty cool. So this was a design by Alf Seijet. Um, Alf Seijet is a designer who is living up to something I tell all designers to do, which is to essentially kind of the board game equivalent of write what you know. Um, and <laughs> basically, if you have a hobby or an interest or an area of expertise as a designer outside of board games, just maybe try and put that into your board game because the board game will be made with a bit more love and color. Um, and Alf Seijet is a designer while also being a professor of medieval English literature, which is how we get a game about the road to Canterbury from him, and now Illumination, which is a game about monks doodling in the marginalia of books that they have to copy for their day jobs, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh my God, I don't know how you felt, Tom, but like just the theme of monks drawing like historically appropriate doodles, it, it felt like a really nice and pleasant and unique theme for this game and made with a lot of love. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think we're always pushing on this podcast and with the channel to have like flat out better themes in games. And this was so, it's so delightful because like it never became overbearing. It never became too boggy or heavy or concerned with accuracy. It was more just this lovely twist of like flavor that you put on top of a very, like, frankly, kind of dry set of systems if they were stripped of that theme, right? Mm, yeah, uh, although before I start talking about what I thought of the actual game and the puzzle that you and I were playing, Tom, I, I just want to flag up here. Does Shut Up and Sit Down have a love of monks? Yes. Because I'm now... Re <laughs> okay, right, because there's a pattern here. I first became aware of this when Matt was being hilarious, describing um, the really excellent but tragically ugly board game Heaven and Ale, um, <laughs> which is a game I, I still think about because it is really good. That sort of made monks a funny word within Shut Up and Sit Down's canon. And then now we start talking about how all Euro games need a monk track, mm -hmm. which is kind of us poking fun of their theme. Ava, you're working on something that involves a lot of monks right now. Uh, yeah, I, no, I'm literally like, we're just saying that Illumination is like a rare theme in games. And I've got a video coming up that has a little bit about Illumination and the possibility of like weird out of character marginalia in it. So oh, like, really? It, this isn't, yeah, I'm... Surprisingly, this might not be the most original theme. Is it Monk Month on Shut Up and Sit Down? 
Oh Welcome goodness. to Monk Month. Welcome to Monk well, Month. You heard I it just here wanted, first. I wanted to. Okay, so that, the two questions I had was first, are we obsessed with monks? I think we've all answered that with yeah. <laughs> can we can we try and answer why? What is it about monks in board games that that is making us giggle? I feel like it's just you know when a word is said enough that eventually it just takes on a life of its own. Mm. I think the word monk now doesn't remind me of like you know d- devout you know, Christians living in, in like walled enclosures. I just think of us making fun of monks. Is that, is that what's happened? I don't know. I think there's something about like this. There's a lot of game. Like I always find it funny when games have really specific pastoral themes. Like when mm. it's like, oh, let's build some gardens and farm some vegetables. And like, that's like a, almost a whole genre of games is just go to a specific place and do the thing. And I find it funny just because it's, it's so mundane and the idea yes. that you're going to spend your evening pretending to be a medieval farmer yeah, is fundamentally I, hilarious. You know, and then you, t- you add monks to it. Right? You're right. Like we were making fun of like Agricola and like, hey, there's a. Did you know the most popular board game is about being a German subsistence farmer? Like that was funny in like 2005. I think mm. now it's monks are even more boring than farmers. Monks are in um, this season. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the game. Sorry, everyone loves this, a tonsure at the end of the day. Like I you know. do not. They're the, it's the worst haircut. I don't even like. I don't even think like the sequence of letters that tonsure horrible anyway uh, illumination is a pretty good little abstract game um however i like so uh, placing tile. we haven't even talked in, about exactly how you place the tiles but essentially you have a three by three grid on your board and you have to place a row or column so on your turn you place three tiles and that's kind of tricky and you're placing these things trying to get adjacency bonuses but then also trying to surround people so we were joking while we were playing at time this actually has quite a lot in common with um uh tigris and euphrates right like <laughs> yes it's, it's I, I Tigers and Euphrates it, with doodles. I described that in our teachers, like, well, firstly, we're playing this game about resource collecting, and then also we're going to play a little miniature game of Tigris and Euphrates. Like, it's true. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of that DNA is in there, but it's only, you know, uh, for two players. Right. Um, and now, uh, on, but Tigris and Euphrates is famously difficult. Now, while we were playing uh, Illumination, Tom, I was taking, like, a long time taking my turns, and you said, uh, quote, I wrote this down, this is the hardest I've ever seen you crunch. <laughs> Um, and I laughed at that. But then, Tom, do you remember I wrote something down on a piece of paper immediately after that and didn't show you what it was, which was a note for this podcast? Tell me what was on that note, Quinz. I wrote down, if I don't win this game, I never want to play it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you remember which of us won that game of Illumination? Was it me? It was you. Yes. You, you, actually, you really slapped me around. It was like 60 points to 50. It was a big, big, uh, big swing. I And... Yet, I, so like I found it really quite hard work to play. But I think the biggest compliment I could give to Illumination is I came away from it feeling like sore and not frustrated that I'd worked really hard at the puzzle and still lost. I actually quite want to go back to Illumination and try again, knowing what I know now. And I think that is a really good sign for a game if you lose and want to go back in. Yeah, I, I'm eager to play this again because it's like it's. It's not only a sort of delightful curio and this game that you can show to people and you can really sell it on the theme because it's like oozing from every part of the game. I think it's also, I want to go back to it because it has 
layers. Like when you play uh, yeah. Curious Cargo, for example, a really, really great uh, two-player sort of pipe mania game, you sort of reshape your strategy every single time you play it. So the first time you're just concerned about pipes, but the second time you're more into like, how can you manufacture a way of stealing your opponent's goods off their trucks? Illumination's second level of play is like seeing what your opponent is like capable of, because it's all visible in front of you, and you can sort of fold that into your strategy as you're playing. I think it's really quite electric in that sense. Not that I was doing much of it, and I think, I have a theory as to why you lost Quinns. I think it's because you were playing the irreverent player reverently, and I was playing the reverent <laughs> player irreverently. <laughs> Is this a real theory you have? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I played my turns pretty fast and loose in that game and completely smooth-brained every inch of my strategy, whereas I think you crunched yourself into a little corner. You sort of got yourself so tied up in, in this puzzle that you, you couldn't see the wood for the trees, the little bunnies with swords for the dragons. I definitely thought about, like, this game has, like, five different sub-layers of mechanics, and I was definitely thinking about them all when I think what you were doing was just surrounding my doodles with your doodles and getting them beaten up. And that was enough. <laughs> that was enough to secure you the win. Um, yeah, ultimately, I don't think Illumination is great. Like, if I'm talking in, in the, the weird like lingo of Board Game Geek rankings, I think it's, like, a 7.4. So, like, you know, good. <laughs> definitely play it, but it's such a specific reference. Yeah, it's very precise. I, I, but don't you? But I mean, first off, board game geek. All board game geek games are rated from seven to eight. Like, That's very true. And, yes. So really, a seven point one on BGG is like a two out of ten. I got a whole system. Don't don't ask me about it. It's complicated. <laughs> but I I don't know. I just all I'm saying is you and I are both feeling kind of positive about illumination. I I trying to guide us towards the revelation to our audience that neither of us would probably buy it. Ooh, that's a good qu That's a good uh, a good point. Yeah, maybe I think there are sort of sharper two player games that are out there. But I think for like for its theme and for its actual like approachability, I was really surprised at how easy it was to teach and how easy it was to get to the table. I do think there's a lot to really love there, and I think if you get a kick out of the theme, I think it's like certainly something you should think about. But you're maybe right that it's not something I'm leaping out of my seat to say to everyone, "Oh, you need to go and buy it." But it's a great time. I enjoyed myself. I think it's great. I think if you get the chance to play at a convention, do it. If you like, if you're, you know, like, um, if you're part of a couple or you play games mostly two-player, I think, you know, grab a copy. Mm. Uh, because I think it, it is a game that will reward repeat plays. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. It's good. It's a good game. Can I just ask before we go about, uh, go, go on, like, when you say that one player is reverent and the other one is irreverent, is it just the art that's on there? Because for a while I thought you were describing a monk hidden traitor game. <laughs> and I got really excited and I just want to establish it's not that at all is it no the, and, no okay yeah I'm not interested then oh Bye. but like <laughs> a game where you all write in a book as monks transcribing books and then one of you has drawn a <laughs> naked rabbit again in the and you don't have to figure out which one it is that sounds like a great thing for a hidden role yeah game. fake artist but about transcribing books <laughs> transcribing oh, ancient yes. theological texts <laughs> Ava, you have also brought a game to today's game club to talk to us about a game. And that game is Good Puppers. Yes, it is. And like, I'm going to kick off here with like Good Puppers, Chris Seslick, who is the uh, owner and uh, certainly the head of Asmadi Games, which isn't Asmodee Games, uh, but a smaller American publisher who... Well, he is someone who's worked on some of my favourite games because he has uh, published and developed and worked with uh, Carl Chudik quite a lot and they did Red 7 together, which is a lovely little game. 
And Good Puppers is probably the game that I've played this year that has surprised me and the people I played it with the most. Mm. Um, uh, because uh, it's great. It's great. This is a really crunchy little doggy-based game. Um, and I saw <laughs> the name, and it was Good Puppers, and I was like, that looks like it's got... Uh, Quinns, what do you think about the title Good Puppers? Why are you throwing me in front of the internet bus here? <laughs> I, uh, but you know what? I'll, I'll do it. I'll follow. I'll, I'll jump in front of that bus nobly. I think the name Good Puppers makes me feel a bit sick. Um, yeah. We would. The internet travels really fast. It feels like only yesterday that puppers and doggos were acceptable terms to throw around on social media to describe dogs. And now I find them absolutely repellent. I don't want to be exposed to any of that uh, millennial lingo anymore. It's uh, it's bad, Ava. I, I, it's a title of a board game that makes me feel awful. Yeah. I, I don't think I have that quite as pronounced as you do, Quinns. Like for me, like it's like, oh, it's a, it's a word. It's a kind of a little bit cringe. But if you're just getting excited and you just want to say a cute word to a dog, absolutely fine. There's something about using it in the marketing that makes me feel a bit like... I don't know. But anyway, this game is all about dogs. Although ironically, I think it might have been made by someone who prefers cats. Uh, <laughs> because there's there's 10 breeds of dog in the game and the 10th breed... Four of them are cats. <laughs> <laughs> the 10th breed is special, special dogs. Um, and they are the most powerful and strongest of the dogs. And they are cats disguised as dogs. <laughs> Um, the art here is really, really lovely and it is cute little dogs rolling around and playing, but the game itself is what actually surprised me here because there is a crunchy and interesting puzzle at the core of this game. Um, I also think it might be about stealing dogs from a dog park. Like there's definitely a kidnapping element to it, but we'll get to that. Okay. So Good Puppers is a card game. It's a big deck of cards, all of them pictures of dogs, and each round you will be dealing some into the dog park in the centre of the board, which is like a market that you are playing into, and then you are revealing face down, putting face down a card that you already have. Um, you'll all flip those over, and whoever has got the, I think it's the highest number goes first, but that might be the thing where it's the lowest number goes first. That dictates the order that you're going to be able to take dogs from the park in. Um, with the added bonus of whoever goes last actually gets to take two dogs from the park because there's always one more dog than there was. I don't know why you are going to a park to get new dogs. That does definitely seem like thievery to me, but there we go. You're sort of um, using your dog to obtain more dogs, aren't you? in a sort of recruitment yeah. scheme by the sound. I was going to say like a honeypot. Yes. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Is your dog attractive enough to other dogs that you can, oh, wait, no, that makes it all a bit, yeah, let's not go there. So the thing to know about dogs is that every dog has two things about it, right? It has a breed, which is a type of dog. So um, I uh, probably should have got a list of the types of dogs that are in there. But you might have a little sausage dog and there might be 10 sausage dogs in the deck. However, they are also all have an adjective tied to them, right? So each of these dogs, so you, you of the sausage dogs, you will have a playful one and an aggy one. And a depressed a, one. Yeah, one with and like different a types randy of, one. 
a randy dog. These are not the actual types. I think playful is one, but the rest of them is just us making up adjectives that apply to dogs. Don't worry. You don't have to explain randy (laughs) crypto dogs to your friends to play this game. So all of these dogs are sort of unique, but they come in these different categories. And these words, this is what I really like about this. Each of the dogs that you get goes and gets added to your tableau. Um, some of the cards that get added to your tableau then trigger the action that is written on the card. Um, and all of the dogs with the same adjective will have the same action tied to them. So you see all of the actions that are available quite quickly, but all of the playful dogs will get you some other dogs to come in or gain you something or gain you some kind of benefit. But each of those actions has a symbol on it that matches the type of dog that it is. And basically, you will get to do that as many times as you have dogs of that type. So you've got these actions that are quite varied, and you will be able to build up and make more and more powerful by putting them on top of uh, big stacks of them. So if you can get a group of a lot of dogs, you will be getting more and more powerful at the actions associated with those cards. I love this. I love yeah. this. We saw this mechanic in uh, Witchstone where the game starts, and it's like a, it's like an, it's like a boulder rolling down a hill and gathering more and more, you know, snow or something. It's a very, very exciting thing to do in a game. Yeah, but it's also interesting because it's like there's different things that it can build up to because the actions aren't the same, like are fundamentally always going to be different for different dogs of the same breed. You're going to be building up to do something later in the game powerfully, but it won't be the thing that you're putting on first. So you've got to decide when you want to trigger rot and all of that sort of stuff. So you have this choice about what suits of card you're going to be collecting, which is basically all this is. This way of stacking up bonuses so you can get more and more powerful, but also options of which scoring opportunities you're going to take for the end of the game uh, to do. And it's just, it's all quite simple. Like there's not a huge amount of things here. And once you played it once, you'll have seen all of the actions or the type of actions that are available. Once you've looked at like a few of the cards after a couple of rounds, you'll know most of the options that are going to be available. And it's interesting. There's a couple of layers. You're having to think about all of these different things at once, but it's also not complicated because it is just play a card, take a card, do the action and add stuff to your stack. And you're always thinking about what you can improve and what you can upgrade um it's lovely it's clever it it sounds um, yeah really solid um i am somewhat concerned that it it, it is a game about going to the dog park and gradually dragging more and more dogs to your basement until you've got like 40 of them uh in a in a room that that seems to be where the theme is going Mm. honestly like i haven't even the other thing oh god i've forgotten about the most weird thing about this right is that like yeah it does sound like that but also uh victory points in this game are bones <laughs> so you're not just getting points for doing things i can't believe i can forgot this whenever all of these some of these actions will basically let you collect bones that you then tuck underneath the cards of the stacks of dogs you've got so like your little herd of shih tzus might have a pile of bones underneath them uh, that they've buried in the garden and that's what it is thematically except that the other thing that the dogs can do right okay Okay, riddle me this, right? How would you upgrade a bone? 
Upgrade? <laughs> uh, what, you mean like as in to become a more valuable... A more valuable boat. How do you upgrade a boat? I've got no idea, but you can do it in this game. <laughs> and this leads to really interesting decisions. And like, there's a lot of... I, I, I'm not going to go in depth into any of the combos and things that are going on here, but it's like you're trying to stack up bones in certain places so that you can trigger an action elsewhere that will let you upgrade those bones so that they first it's worth one, then it's worth two, then it's worth five, then it's worth ten points. You could get ten points for a single bone, Quinns. But like, all I can say is if this culture values bones so much, I have a feeling it's all dogs. So mm. you're dog kidnappers, but you're not human dog kidnappers. You're just dogs who are forming gangs. But there are parks, there are dog parks, so there must be humans somewhere, but they're not really present in the game. Anyway, I've definitely overthought this, and I am frustrated at the fact that all of the text, it's called Good Puppers, all of the card text says doggos, and you end up having to say doggos and puppers a lot more than you really intend to while playing this game. But Do I is, have to say the word puppers? At any, like, is there a card, is the word puppers on like the name of a card that I have to read out or anything? Or is it like acquire a pupper from the top of the deck? It's mostly doggo. I think on the text of the cards, it's all doggos. Like if you collect this set of doggos or from another thing. But I don't think there's a huge amount of it and you don't really need to read it out loud. You don't necessarily need to announce what you're doing in that way. So you can avoid it. I found myself doing it even though I was trying to avoid it. And I don't even mind it that much. It's just, there's something about, it just feels a little bit cynical to me, the branding on this. Like it doesn't, feel like it loves it's like it, this game isn't about these dogs being cute it's just some cute stuff that's been put on a really clever game and design um out of curiosity and, how would you make it more more authentic to the name of good puppers if it was trying to be like a cute game I mean, about dogs comes with a dog i mean comes i would bone. <laughs> i would make it uh, like and this, and this is this is a this is an interesting question right is that like I think this might be me being a bit um, a bit judgmental to some extent because I think there's a bit of it that I was really expecting this to be like a light family game for people who uh, don't want to have to to think too much or aren't looking for a crunch. They're just like, they want to play a game that's got some cute dogs on it. But what this is actually aimed at is like people who absolutely exist is people who really like a good crunchy game but want that game to be about dogs. And like, it hits that really, really well. And I think it is... Uh, I think it is cute and uh, a little bit funny and uh, clever enough that I am going to definitely be keeping it around. So when I saw Tom yesterday, I took a copy of an expansion for a very, 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 very good board game called Memoir 44. This is an absolute classic. It sold, I think, hundreds of thousands of copies at this point. Memoir 44 is a one versus one game set in World War II. And, you know, when people, you know, want to play Risk and then shut up and says, don't play Risk, Memoir 44 is exactly the kind of strategy game that we would rather play instead. Yes, it's only for two players, but it's tense and exciting and it features lots of fun dice rolling, but it's rewarding. Every game is different because it's full of different scenarios. And yes, you still get to push little plastic men around a map and imagine how bad their life is. <laughs> Memoir 44 is also um, noteworthy for having some extraordinarily good expansions in its history. Um, Memoir 44 Overlord is probably the most famous one. That lets you play memoir as a large-scale game that, you know, can 
seat all, all the way up to four players, a team of four players taking on a team of four players, and that's just a terrific experience. There's also Memoir 44 campaign books that let you and your opponents sit down and play through a whole big chunk of World War II with battle after battle. Um, Memoir 44 has tons of expansions, and this one that Tom and I played yesterday is a new one. It's called New Flight Plan, and it adds planes. Uh, you know them, you love them, they're the big metal boys that fill the skies and drop dangerous things. Um, and interestingly, this is actually the second expansion for Memoir 44 that adds planes. So in 2007, the publisher's Days of Wonder released something called the Memoir 44 Air Pack, and it added planes, and it was popularly considered not very good by a whole bunch of Memoir 44 plans. And so, a mere 12 years later, um, the publishers released <laughs> new flight plans. Um, this is what Tom and I played. It adds planes that you can incorporate to any scenario in Memoir 44. Bombers, fighters, plastic things that fly over the board and drop bombs and have little ammo tokens. And Tom and I played it. And Tom, well, actually, before we before I ask you what you think, I should flag up. There's a really funny bit in the manual for new flight plans, which is written by Richard Borg, the designer of Memoir 44. Um, and it says, um, uh, for making this expansion, we looked at the previous uh, pack expansion that added planes to Memoir 44, and uh, and we took everything that we that we needed from that. Needless to say, hardly any of it is in this expansion, um, <laughs> which is the hardest I've ever seen a publisher dunk on their own game uh, in in my entire time with Shut Up and Sit Down. So, Tom, you're a fan of Memoir 44, aren't you? I am a fan of Memoir 44. After we played it most recently at yours, we played with the I think is it called Winter Assault or Winter? Oh no! Operation? Oh, hang on. Let's give it a quick typey typey type. Memoir 44 Winter Wars, released in 2010. Yeah, yeah. that is a, a rather cool expansion that um, adds a whole new deck of combat cards and a few extra rules that simulate basically just how... Or, you thought World War II was bad? <laughs> what about World War II in sub-zero temperatures? Yes. Um, and we had a really good time with that expansion, didn't we? Yeah, mm. it made Memoir just, just harder and slower. Yeah, we did. I was amazed that I had such a good time with it, considering that, yeah, what it did was just slow the game down to a real snail's pace as these... Very, very tired men trudge across the forest that hates them. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I so I went out and I got my own copy of Memoir 44 to then play, and it's great. I've played it a bunch, played it a lot with my friend Harry. Uh, but New Flight Plan isn't something that I really want to keep around. New uh, Flight Plan is not something that I want to keep around. High five, clap. This is just. I feel like it's all toy factor for me with new flight plan. Like you have these tactile little planes and they've got their little bases and then on their bases, they've got their little slots for showing their allegiance. And you've got little ammo, ammo counters that you can drop down and store on their little cards. It's nice. It's good. It adds sort of 3D texture to the board. It has these things that are sweeping around. They feel like planes. But the swing that they introduce into the game and the speed at which they move. This is probably my main problem with it. It feels like it just crunches the battlefield right down into this very small space. You're, you know, you're almost folding space with how fast they can cross the field in one move. And most crucially, they allow you to pick off these units that your opponent has retreated. So when we were playing the game, Quinns wisely had a unit who had sort of struck out to try and take a position. Then they got a few unlucky dice rolls and they kind of got pushed back by me. And Quinns wisely retreated them to behind some forest where normally they wouldn't be able to be reached. But then the plane comes along and just chases them like that Hitchcock movie through a cornfield, mowing them down, this one guy. And of course, that's one fifth of the way towards me winning the game. 
it just felt like they made the game so much faster. And I think Memoir 44 is at its best when it's almost a little bit plodding, but it's a game of inches, right? Taking ground yeah. always feels like a huge victory. You normally have to put units at risk if you want to get stuff done. And those planes just felt so strong and so fast that they just put a big puncture in the tempo that I'm used to the game having. Yeah, it's so peculiar. And when I talked about, you know, the theme of this game being a problem, what I meant is that, like, you know, the the theme of planes is what this game is chasing. It wants to give you a plane that flies over the battlefield and drop bombs and does all the cool thematic storytelling that planes do. Um, and that is so at odds with what Memoir 44 actually is and what the game they, they've made is, you know? Because, mm. yeah, as you say, Memoir 44 is about creeping forward, taking terrain. And to have these planes that, like, well, you know, if a plane flies onto a Memoir 44 battlefield, obviously it can show up anywhere. It can go anywhere. It is not affected by hills or forests in the way that Memoir 44 traditionally is. So they've made a plane expansion that is like thematically appropriate to what planes are and not at all appropriate to the game that Memoir 44 is, a mm. prediction. And the term you used when we were discussing how we felt about our game of it, uh, Tom, was splashy. And I feel that is that is so accurate. Shooting down planes is like either you you waste your time shooting at them or they fall out the sky, which is just a huge variance. <laughs> um, then the planes, you know, just where they show up and how much damage they do, it's just... It had so it turns Memoir Forty Four into something more like a pinball machine with these planes rattling around, you know, mm. leaving you know huge, huge swingy game states in their wake. And like, part of me wonders if it's because of the scenario that we were playing, like whether we were playing a specific scenario that lent itself towards them being like much more powerful than they would be otherwise. But then it's frustrating to have to play this kind of secondary game of working out what maps might work with the new additions and what ones might not. Yeah, um, I, it's it's hard. I can't see myself recommending it to, to anyone really because I think that even like people who are big into Memoir 44 would struggle with their game being so sort of like flipped on its head by those new additions yeah it's it's very peculiar I'm looking at the board game geek page for Memoir 44 new flight plan now and like of all of the images that people have uploaded almost all of them are of people having painted their planes right and that is who this expansion for, is for I think people who really you know, love the uh, historical simulationism of Memoir 44. And there is a fair bit of that. I have always loved how in Memoir 44, every scenario you play has a few paragraphs on like, okay, here's what we're trying to replicate here. Here's the, here's the moment in human history that we're trying to model. Mm. Um, but so bizarrely, like the way that New Flight Plan is incorporated into Memoir is like, okay, in any scenario you choose, both sides can field planes. However, in real life, one or like either the Axis or the Allies often had air superiority. So the player with air superiority in like, for example, if you're playing the Nazis in 1941, you always have air superiority in any memoir scenario you're playing. And they've done that so that you can have a relatively historically accurate plane add-on to any scenario. But it just means that like all memoir scenarios from 1939 to 1943 just got easier for the for the Axis, which is <laughs> a level of, like doing that to your game's balance is just bizarre. Yeah, it, it's I, I've not played, you know as much Memoir 44 as you, I don't think, comparatively. But what I have played has been so, so characterized by a sort of stability. And yeah, that historical accuracy, which I don't really care about, but the idea of things being a certain way because of the history, I feel like that might just even get torpedoed by this idea of planes being there, right? Yeah, um, like, yeah. They, they are so, they shift 
the sort of intended approach for every scenario so radically that you're really unsure of like what the best approach is. Like when we played the game that we played, there was sort of one very specific bridge that Quinn was meant to cross. But then having planes incorporated into the game just, I think, completely changed your approach to what you would normally do in that scenario, which sounds like a good thing, but it meant that both of us were just having fun, well, fun in, in quotation marks, flying these planes around and not focusing on what was already so present in the actual scenario design. Yeah, um, super, super peculiar. But uh, it's nice to go back to Memoir 44 and remember that we do love the base game and to yes. play one of the old good expansions and realize that, yeah, Winter Wars is really good. I do think Winter Wars is a really good um, counterpoint to New Flight Plan because Winter Wars took Memoir and said, well, what's nice about this? If you really love Memoir, maybe you wish the games lasted a little longer and were a little bit more tense and cruel. And Winter Wars provides that. No one plays Memoir 44, one of the goofiest, most like arcadey World War II games ever, and goes, I just wish this was faster and dumber. I mean, maybe there are people, maybe there are people out there, and, for, and those people should absolutely get new flight planned and have fun flying tiny fighters around uh, around a hex map. Um, but Ava, I want to bring you back in. I want to hoist you back. Let's get in there because I think it, we teased it at the top of the pod. It's time for Quentin's special debate. Uh, Tom, can I have a bed of attention music on underneath this bit, please? Absolutely. That's not very tense. That's that is not, not tense no, at all. Do you know? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> so the subject of Quentin's special debate is, uh, for a long time, we have been recommended Memoir 44 as a great two-player game, great little war game, great little World War II game. But now we've got another sort of challenger in this arena. So what I want to once and for all put an answer to on this podcast is... If you want a two-player World War II game, is it the gold standards Memoir 44 or the new hot young Turk, Undaunted? Tom, I would like you... I'm just going to throw this open. No wrong answers, please. Do you want to begin the debate of which of these two games might be better? Uh, it's Undaunted. That's... <laughs> is that it? You can't, okay, first off, this is meant to be like a big discussion that fills like several minutes. Also, I think you might be wrong. Um, like, I, you know, Ava, can we have a, a slightly more rigorous answer? And don't just say the word undaunted or it's undaunted. It's again. undaunted. It is undaunted. Do you feel the same way or are you just messing with me? No, I, I'm, I'm messing with you a little bit. Like, I think, you know, but, I, but I, you know me, I'm immediately going to, well, actually, there's benefits on both sides and it's going to be different want. people with different <laughs> um, it's exactly yeah, what That's I not want. a debate, is it? The debate is if I say it's undaunted, which is like, I think, like, genuinely, I think it is objectively like the the better game in terms of like stronger, sharper decisions and narrative, right? Yeah. Uh, but that isn't necessarily what people are looking for in a war game. Like war games, it is supposed to be little plastic people marching around the field and big holy chunks of dice, right? And Memoir 44 mm. is that in a lovely and clever nutshell. Um, not, yeah, is nutshell the phrase? Yeah, that is the phrase, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Lost face in that there. <laughs> what a lovely, clever nutshell. Um, yeah, I think that um, for what I, in terms of like all games, if I'm thinking about all games, I think that Undaunted has so many clever ideas and so many little weird systems that I am happy to get stuck in. However, it also has the risk of potentially boiling down to 
I roll a dice, you roll a dice, I roll a dice, like just back and forth taking pot shots at each other in a way that can get bogged down. Whereas memoir is like this feeling of like pushing up a front and pushing up lots of things and taking big gambles about what's going where rather than those little cheeky card-based decisions and that engine building, which takes you out of the war vibe. I, yeah, I think I think Undaunted is cleverer and it's more modern. It's full of clever ideas. Memoir 44, I think, is it's less clever. Memoir 44 is one of the few games I have. Tom, you were just saying that your collection needs more like sort of fighty war games, you know, more games <laughs> that are a little like Risk. And Memoir 44 just nails that experience of pushing with both thumbs a little block of four wooden soldiers out of a forest into the open and rolling 4d6 and praying. Yes. Like, and, and that is so pure in a way that, like, if you were to tell me people aren't playing Memoir 44 in, you know, six years' time, I would be surprised. If you were to tell me people aren't playing Undaunted in six years' time, I would not be surprised. That's... Because I think, I think ideas, you know, can come and go. People could replicate undaunted ideas in another better format i don't know if you if anything has replicated memoir 44 i i see what you mean and i think that i think memoir 44 you're right it has this really particular niche that it fills beautifully if i want to play a game i also think it's crazy that no game has filled that niche better than memoir in all this time (laughs) i mean maybe there is there probably is i'm sure that people out there will be like actually there are plenty of games that do exactly what memoir 44 does but they do it better but well yeah people will tell you commands and colors ancients does that but they're wrong Memoir is perfect for being a game that has toy soldiers in it. and But that's not me. I'm not talking that down, right? I bought my own copy. It has great table presence. It has a tactical game that is simple enough to be taught in five minutes, but it delivers a bunch of replayability and depth in its scenario design. I love it. I think it's really good. But I just think that you're wrong about Undaunted not delivering those same feelings of like a conflict, of a war, of a battle. It is so smart, so thematic, and it has the same amount of variability within its scenario design as well, but it feels so different. Like by pulling that feeling from card games of like getting in your opponent's heads and seizing opportunities to snipe cards straight from their hand, you have a game that feels like more like a duel. And that might not be everyone's thing, right? It's like, do you want war or do you want like a skirmish, a duel? And I think that they're delivering two very different things. But like Undaunted, I think, delivers so much more on the like thematic elements. Like you're right, having those cards have their individual names in Undaunted is means you have this real sense of squads going out oh, into a okay. field. Well, l- let me hold you up on that exact point for a moment because Memoir 44, and I'm only, I'm playing devil's advocate because you two have played more Undaunted than me. And, you know, I, if, uh, I, I don't disagree really with anything you're saying, but Memoir 44, the feather in its cap is that it is endlessly expandable with truly brilliant expansions. You know, if you want to pursue different fronts of the war, like, you know, North Africa or, or you know, uh, the Eastern Front, you know, you can do that with expansions. But more importantly, there are campaign books for it that are terrific. There are multiple campaign books for it. And I, there isn't, I would... St- I would be shocked if Undaunted ever has anything as good as the Overlord expansion for Memoir 44. Undaunted, on the other hand, has had, you know, the big expansion it's had, North Africa, almost immediately in trying to add vehicles, runs into the exact, like, the thing we all like about Undaunted is every card is a soldier, and when those cards are shot, it feels horrific and very emotive. And they've already kind of had to sacrifice that to try and get vehicles in the game, right? Because now... 
that it, with the North Africa expansion, each you don't have squads. Each squad is a person, which means people can get shot like four times before they die. Yeah, but I also think that Undaunted, that expansion in particular, or that you know entire second version of Undaunted is different to the original. I think with Memoir 44, you have all these campaign books and all these different ideas going on, but fundamentally, what you are still playing is a war. You're playing one side pushing forward against another side, and yeah, there are only so yeah. many different ways you can iterate on that before adding things like planes, which didn't quite work. The thing that I like about North Africa, and initially I wasn't too hot on it, but over time I've played more of it and really come to appreciate its asymmetry and how it's modeling a very different kind of conflict. I think that Memoir 44 models the same conflict in lots of different ways, whereas Undaunted has the potential to show off different facets of conflicts. And I think that's going to be maybe exacerbated even more by the Stalingrad version, which is coming out relatively soonish, which is going to be a legacy game and maybe feed more into those ideas of your cards being soldiers. And we don't have Overlord, but we do have the reinforcements box, which adds four player support. So two people can play as each side. And I haven't talked about that on a podcast yet. I don't think it quite works as well as it could, especially with new players. But I think with four players who really love Undaunted, you could get something very special out of that box i think that i think that the thing is about the scale and the, the difference between these two games is that they're represent they're both representing the second world war currently like they could be other things like you pointed out that command and colors is a system that's applied to lots of different eras that is what memoir 44 is based on um but like memoir 44 you are the general right you are you you've still got you've got a whole front that you're managing and you're pushing people and the people are tiny and expendable and undaunted is much closer to what is going on than that right like undaunted is definitely you like in the thick in the mud with people getting confused and lost and not being able to see things and caring when one person dies rather than an entire squad dies and i think that i find like all of this like you know we probably need to talk about the fact that like war's really horrible <laughs> and you know i haven't i didn't say anything but like closely following the news out of ukraine has colored how i've been able to play war games or talk yeah. about them or even think about them that's been on the edge of my tongue this the tip of my tongue this whole yeah, and I mean we have to we have to look at that. And I think the thing that frustrates me is that like Memoir 44 could be further removed from the reality of war and like because it is about having fun because you know we were talking about chucking dice and having a laugh and pushing around and making these gambles and like that feels it's hard to do that in a way that feels like honest about how hard these things are and how many people get hurt in war um, and undaunted does at least like step up to that and it does try and look at that and it does make you think about that like the thing that you did like you know we worked a little bit on the script for the undaunted video didn't we quince and like the thing that were that came at the end of that where you went uh to the pavilion and talked about the history like that wouldn't have worked in a video about memoir 44 i don't think and i think that there's something yeah. in there that makes undaunted the stronger war game for me because i don't want it to just be silly fun i want it to have an amount of like honoring the tragedy of it and like yeah like you say right now that feels even more important it feels even more important to acknowledge like how big these tragedies are and how 
yeah, how how meaningless it is, which is a really dark place to end a podcast on. But you know, it, it's hard. I think it? that's a really nice point to end this debate. I, I was ready to come away from this being like, okay, well, memoir forty four for this kind of person and undaunted for this kind of person. But no, I think you've completely swayed me. The idea that memoir 40, that undaunted captures the light, but also a lot of the darkness of war while still being fun feels like a magic trick that it's pulled off. And yeah. I think um, I'm going to have to give the debate crown scepter award to undaunted in Quentin's special debate. Thank you, please. Good night. And then we have some, some, some music. Oh, like a bugle. Some melancholy yeah. bugle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, can we? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We talked about Illumination. We talked about Memoir 44, New Flight Plan. And we talked about Good Puppers. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about some more games. What uh, games are you going to talk about next week? Ooh. Oh, crap. It's me and you, isn't it? It is me and you. We're going to talk <laughs> should about... We... Oh, should we tease? We... Should we give clues? Yeah, we're going to... Let's do more than a clue. Let's slap the game right on the table. We're going to be talking about, among other things, Osprey Games' Crescent Moon. In fact, a new war game from the publishers of Undaunted, set in the uh, Islamic Golden Age. Uh, and it's asymmetric, and I'm very, very interested in it. I'm really interested in that one as well. And I think we're also... I'm, I want to be the Sultan... And you can be the warmonger. Ooh, as a treat. Yeah, I'm excited. I think we'll also be talking about Bear Raid on that podcast, the new stock weird board game tables.com game from Ryan Courtney. Should be a good one. That'll be next week, next Friday, unless something bad happens to one of us. <laughs> Is that a threat? No. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. Hey, no. No. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>